John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, writes this. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. So worship, this is it. Listen to this, it's kind of a launching pad of, of, I thought it captured well, of where I hope and pray we end up today. So worship is the fuel and goal of missions. That there's a heartbeat for God. There's a desire and a hunger for the things of God that drive us to want to take the gospel to this community, to want to take the gospel. That's why people are in Oklahoma right now from this congregation. 20 plus of them left yesterday morning in our back parking lot. They're there today ministering as a part of us. And what drives that and what our hope and prayer and what drives that is, is the glory of God of wanting to worship this God and wanting other people to come and worship and know this God. Statistics tell us that by the year 2060, so about 40 years down the road, projections are that six of the top ten countries in the world will all be on one continent, Africa. Notice what it shows here as we look forward, Nigeria and the Congo, and then places like Tanzania, Uganda, Kenya, and Ethiopia. So again, six out of ten by the year 2060 will be the most populated Christian nations on the world, and it's all in one continent. I remember being there in Africa. I was told early on, I wasn't really aware of it, but the pastor I was staying with began to share with me how much takes place with this prosperity gospel throughout Africa. And there's so many that are poor and they want any opportunity for things to get better for them or their family. And so the prosperity gospel there grows in great numbers because if you could give this or do that, then God will bless your family. If you'll sow this seed or that seed, then you could have this. And so there's just... A great hunger for people. They want something better for their families. And so the prosperity gospel grows. And so that Wednesday night I had an opportunity to preach at the church. And I preached out of the book of First Peter. And the call that God says for Christians to actually suffer. Because I didn't want them to think that God had rejected them because they suffer so greatly. In fact, Peter says that all those who want to live in Christ will suffer persecution. They'll experience it. And so as I was in the midst of sharing how Christians often experience great suffering, I shared with them the hope of these statistics that God would use Africa to reach the world. And applause began to break out. Hand slapping began to break out. And I said, brothers, sisters, you realize that it will mean great suffering. It will cost you your lives to take this gospel to the world. And yet the applause still came. They could not wait to be a part of taking this gospel to the nations. That God would use Africa and the people of Zimbabwe to take the gospel there. And so this morning as we share, I want to share with you this hope of Isaiah 49. The hope of missions. And this morning, I don't know where you land on the spectrum of Father's Day. You may have had the best dad in the world. Your dad may be MIA, missing in action. Your dad may have fallen somewhere in between. Or today may be a reminder that you've never been a dad. Or today may be a reminder that your dad's now gone. Or I mean, it could be any number of things in a room this size with many people here. 
But I want you to leave today despite what you may be experiencing with the greatest joy because you hear and you see who your heavenly Father is. When you capture a vision of how great He is and how much He loves you and the desire He has for you and for the nations to know Him, I pray today that despite what you may feel or experience on Father's Day, that you could have such joy and peace. So this morning we look to the prophet's words in Isaiah 49, the hope of missions. Two things I think will drive the hope of missions, one being the greatness of God and secondly, the glory of Christ. And once those two things come together, we're going to see them as they kind of come together in their fullness in verse six of this chapter. And it gives us a bedrock, a hope, a drive for missions. The hope of missions begins here. With God's greatness. God's greatness means nothing is impossible. Now remember what's happening in the midst of the prophet Isaiah writes to people who are in exile. The Babylonians have come in, right? And they're going to conquer them there in in the period of the 500 BC. and, And they're driven out from their land and their temple and their homes and everything they've ever known. These people are separated from the temple and the place of worship. And Isaiah writes to them to give them hope, to let them know that what is impossible with man is possible with who? With God. So God's greatness means nothing is impossible. First, God is so great that He can call people to serve Him before they are even born. Listen to how the prophet begins. Verse 1 of the 49th chapter of Isaiah. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. He says, listen up, world. The Lord, listen to what it's going to say about this servant that God is going to raise up. The Lord called me. Notice that God's calling this person from where? From the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. Now listen to what Micah says. Another prophet in the Old Testament, Micah chapter 5 verse 2. This is one that you hear at Christmas time often. That's used. It's cited there in the New Testament as we come a fulfillment of Christ's coming. Listen to what it says, Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old. So this coming forth, he says... Is from ancient days. The New American Standard says that it is from days of eternity. It says the coming forth of Christ is not some secondary plan of God, but in fact it was the original plan A of God. God had known from all eternity that He was going to call His servant, His Son, to come and to redeem us and redeem the nations. You say, well, great, Blake, that's Jesus. But what's that got to do with anybody that's ordinary like us? Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says, or God speaks to the prophet and says, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, again, how great is God, this God who could call people before they're even born. Look what he says, verse 5 of Jeremiah 1. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And notice what he says here. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. So he says, Jeremiah, listen, it was before you were even born, I had a plan for your life. Follow me. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. That was Old Testament, right? Now, New Testament. What about the Apostle Paul? Listen to how Paul interprets his life. Look what God speaks and shows him. Verse 15 of Galatians 1 says, But when He who had set me apart before I was what? Before I was born. So two of them. 
before they were born. You say, well, great, Blake, well, that's a great Old Testament prophet, and uh, that's the Apostle Paul, and that was Jesus, but I'm nothing like them. And Paul says, pump the brakes for a moment. If you were in Christ, listen to these words. Verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 1. Paul writes to the church, people like us. Even as, notice what it says here, He chose us in Him, what? Before the foundation of the world. So you're going to hear this message today and you're wondering, listen, as you take the gospel out to the nations, and listen, most of us, we have moments, right, when we wonder, how could God use me? I mean, how could I make any difference, right? I mean, like, most of us, we know full well our limitations, right? I know the things that the pastor I stink at. I'm aware of those things, right? I mean, I know things that I just, I don't do well, things that maybe I'm not most comfortable in those situations, or I don't, I don't speak the clearest, or maybe I don't get them across my point as best as I want to. And so I have all these different things that come at me and collide at me. And if you're not careful, you can almost at times start to wonder if maybe you're just plan B, like you're the B team, so to speak. And the Bible collides with that way of thinking. It's saying, listen, I want you to know you're not the B team. In fact, you're the A team. God has chosen and planned for you to be a part of taking the gospel to the nations. You're a part of that. I want you to hear that today and see about the greatness of this God. They can call people before they're even born. The greatness and power of God. Follow with me, though. Secondly, God's greatness can overcome anything. Isaiah writes again to a people that are in exile, right? They're so far from home. They're so far from everything they know and enjoy. And God begins to let them know that there's hope. There's hope that things can change, that things, in fact, will change because of the servant that's coming. And he's going to write about how these things begin to transform because the servant comes. And I want you to see how great God is from Romans chapter 8 just for a moment. In Romans chapter 8, listen to what it says about the creation. As you walk outside this morning, I was just out walking, enjoying, hearing, uh, just hearing the, the, the birds in the air and, and seeing things. I was out just walking and running some this morning early and getting to see all that God's created. And the Bible says, listen, about God's creation, it's actually under the curse. Listen to what it says, beginning in verse 19 of Romans 8. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself, listen to what happens to the creation itself, will be set free from its what? Its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know, he says in verse 22, that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The creation is desiring to be set free from the curse. Even the creation desires it. So today, according to Ecclesiastes, it says that God has set eternity in the hearts of all people. Today, you may experience and desire to be set free. No longer in bondage to sin. No longer doing the things you wish you would not keep doing. Even the creation is desiring that. And so listen to what happens here in Isaiah 49. The text tells us that the servant's going to come and ultimately that's Christ and he's going to meet basic needs of food and water and shelter. And again, some of you, it just doesn't equate for us here in the Estados Unidos. We can say it all day long about food, water, shelter, clothing. And the vast majority of us, we have no idea what that looks like. 
But if you have any time, and listen, we don't know it very well, but if you had any time where you've walked in another continent and you've seen people bring their oil cans to get water in it, you've seen people ready to go to fight and riots break out over rice and beans, if you've seen the bellies of little children just exploding because of malnourishment and nothing to eat, if you've seen and if you've just had a moment of that glimpse then you hear things like this about shelter and water and the meeting of basic needs forever. And there is great joy and there is peace and there is a place at which most nations desire to rest because of what Christ is doing. And listen to what happens in result in response to that. Verse 13 of Isaiah 49. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. The creation begins to break forth into revival. Why? He says, look, he says, the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. God is going to remove the curse once and for all by this servant, ultimately Christ coming and dying and paying the penalty for sin that not only the people could be free, but even the creation itself. Do you realize that? As much as it's beautiful out there, as much as I know I hear some of your stories, you love to go early in the mornings and get in that stand and, and wait for that deer or that turkey, or you love to go hit the pond, or you love to just go walk out, or some of you love to plant for like gardens or just certain uh, plants or different things. You, you just, you're passionate about that. You love to go out and see some of you are rainbowers or sunrises or sunsetters or, right? I mean, you just, you just get captured by all that's created. Do you realize that everything you've ever seen is under the curse? Sometimes I whisper to the boys, guys, we ain't seen nothing yet. No, no. Right? I mean, we have not seen anything yet. And the creation is going to break out. And listen, let's be honest. This sounds like great news, except when you're in exile. And some of you are there right now. That seems millions and millions and millions of lifetimes away. Father's Day and the things of it are screaming at your life. Failures are screaming at your life. Broken relationships are screaming at your life. And you can't see this truth. You hear it. It sounds good. Maybe you might be like the people in verse 14 of Isaiah 49 who are still in exile when they hear these words. Listen to what it says. The Lord has what? Forsaken me. My Lord has what? Forgotten me. My guess is in a crowd this size, there's some people feeling forsaken and forgotten. Right? I mean, we can hear all day long that God is our healer. But when you pray for that person that you love and you care about to get better, and instead of getting better, they get worse, you start to wonder, maybe this God has forsaken you or forgotten you. You hear that this God has all riches and all power is His, and you start trying to, to live for Him and honor Him, and you're giving, and instead of your financing getting better, they in fact get worse, and you start to wonder, maybe this God has forsaken or forgotten me. And listen to God's response to them. I can't answer every question you have, but maybe I'll just offer God's response back to the people who feel forsaken and forgotten. Listen to what He says. Again, this is how great your God is. Listen to this tender, compassionate God. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she would have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, here's my proof, he says. Listen to his proof. I have engraved you on the palms, what? Of my hands. 
The Lord is saying to His people in exile, He's standing there with hands wide open to them saying, come home. We see that father that is there with that child in Luke 15 who has run off and spent all the dad's inheritance and forsaken his name and and smashed it in the dirt and this son coming back and we see the father waiting for his son to come home. But listen, beloved, you and I, as believers, as New Testament believers, we would have to say when we see these hands open and engravement on the hands, we look forward to something and someone greater on the cross And we behold those nail marks that Thomas, who said, I will not believe unless I see the nail mark in his hands where his side was pierced. And the Lord Jesus says, come, Thomas, see my hands where the nails were. Come, see my side. And Thomas falls down. My Lord and my God. The Lord says to you today, if you feel forsaken and forgotten, your heart broken, your exile is too great. He says, look to the cross. See my son dying for your sin. That's how much I love you. I have not forsaken you. I have not forgotten you. I love you. And I sent my son to redeem you. This is the greatness of our God. So the greatness of God demands that all people would know Him. And it calls for a light, someone to come into the world in darkness. But not just any light, a perfect light. And because of this need of the light and all the sufficiency of this light, there's only one who could come. And that one is Christ. Christ's glory is at the heart of missions. Not only the greatness of God is at the heart of missions. Christ's glory is at the heart of missions. Look what he says back in verse 3 of the 49th chapter of Isaiah. And he said to me, to this servant that God's going to raise up and call, he says, you are my servant, Israel. Now we see clearly that there's a need right for a light. There's a need right for a true Israel. The role of Israel throughout this book of Isaiah, and in fact, throughout the Old Testament, the people of Israel were called to be a light to all other nations. That was their calling. That was what they were supposed to do. They were to live as image bearers in such a way that other nations knew that there was one true God. And yet constantly, constantly they got things wrong. And listen, it was not only they couldn't lead other nations to God, they couldn't even find the way themselves. And listen, not only is, is, is ethnic Israel, not only were they in trouble, this is the story of us all. None of us can find the light in our own. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 11. No one seeks for God. No one. Nobody seeks for God. That's what Paul says in Romans 3 and 11. It's it's not only that we can't get the light, it's we don't even want the light. We love the deeds of darkness. And this is a problem for all humanity. How can any of us sinners stand in the presence of a holy God? And that's why the light of this servant is going to shine through because this servant is going to do for Israel and for the nations and for you what you could never do for yourself. Allow you to stand in the presence of a holy God, holy as God is holy, sinless as God is sinless, perfect as God is perfect. That's the greatness of this servant going and dying on the cross and paying the penalty for your sins. So there's a true need for the light. All right, Israel is called to be the light to the nations. They didn't get it right. So God is going to send one who's going to be the true light. Who he says in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in what? 
darkness, but will have the light of life. So there's the need for the light. But secondly, there's the identity of the light. We already kind of pulled it out a little bit, but you are my servant Israel, he says. Right? Listen, this one called from the womb is unique. And if you, you look back there in verse chapter, or verse two of this chapter, it says his mouth is like a sharp sword. In Revelation 1 and 16, when John has a vision of the resurrected Christ, his mouth is like this sharp sword. Revelation 19 talks about how his mouth is going to come back and his sword comes forth. He's using imagery to say how great this one is. He's going to speak. He's got power. His word will condemn those who have rejected him. This is looking forward to the end times and they're drawing upon passages right here from the the prophet Isaiah. So the servant, though, listen, the servant is not Israel, ethnic Israel. Why? Look what he says, verse 5. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant. So look, he's speaking to the servant here. Look what he says. Here's the servant's responsibility. Bring Jacob back to him. And that Israel might be gathered to him. He says, listen, your responsibility is to bring him back. That's the reason of the light, right? Is to bring him back. To bring the people back to me. To to rescue them. And it's clear that the servant here is separate from Jacob. The servant here is separate from that people of Israel. This is someone unique. Someone different than everyone else that's coming to rescue and do for you what you can never do for yourself. Why? Look what he says back here in verse 3. In whom, in this servant, I will be what? Glorified. This servant is going to bring glory to God. It's at the heart of missions. Sinners reconciled, standing before a holy God. Accepted. Right? And so all of this, listen, all of this brings us to a place of missions having hope. Because of God's greatness and Christ's glory of who He is and the greatness of God. It gives us hope today. Listen, as this comes together right here this morning. Verse 6. Let's read back just for a moment, verse 5. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light. It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. He says, listen, it's a too light a thing that you, right, that you is speaking here again of the servant. It's, it's too light. He's saying, listen, you're too great. You're too great. I'm sending you, listen, not only to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to, to raise them up who are spiritually dead in their sins and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Right? The greatness and glory of God deemed that this task is not even large enough for the servant. The servant is so great, it's not just for his people that he's coming. And for the vast majority of us today here who are not ethnic Jews, this is great news. This is God coming to rescue you. This is hope. Right, and so maybe we just need to confess as a church that sometimes our vision is too light or too small. Maybe as Sunday school teachers, you need to confess this morning that you've had too small or too light of a vision. Maybe you're just hoping that one or two more may come or that your class might be more intentional in this or that. But maybe you would just see today the greatness of God and the glory of Christ. And it would just compel you to start praying some prayers that are that are crazy, so to speak. It seems impossible that your class could ever grow like that. Some of you listen, you've got lost in your family just like I do. And, and sometimes I just wonder, God, maybe if just one would be reached. And often, listen, as I read this text this week, God's just been saying... Like, that's too light of a thing. 
Do you know who I am? I'm the Almighty, Blake. I can save anyone, anywhere, anytime. So today, as you pray, maybe your prayers would just grow, not because of what you see, but because of who He is. And as you pray, your prayer is hoped, and it's grounded in who He is, and the greatness of who He is, and it moves you to pray. Look what He says He's going to do, though. I will make you, so God's going to do something. I will make you, this servant, as a light for who? For the nations. He's going to be a light for the nations. Why is God doing this? That. He tells you why right here. Here's why. That, he says, my salvation may reach where? To the end of the earth. God desires to see all people safe. Right? And listen, he's becoming that light. Why? Because Isaiah 9 and 1 and 2 says these people are walking in darkness. Right? They're without hope. They're in bondage. And here he is saying, listen, I am sending my son to rescue. He is going to be a light for the nations that the salvation may reach to the end of the earth. I don't know how many of you at the end of last year heard about John Cho or John Chow. He was a young man who had a great burden to take the gospel to the North Sentinel Island, the people, the Sentinese of people that are unreached and unengaged. Literally, if anyone tries to come to their island, they begin firing arrows at them. The people of the nation of the country of India has made it illegal for people to even go there to, to bother them. A few days before his death, John writes this in his journal. You guys may think I'm crazy, but I think it's worthwhile to declare Jesus to these people. He later writes in one of his final journal entries, He desires not to die, but if it is to God, be the glory. There's been much dialogue and discussion on why he went and the danger if he went and all these things. And people have, there's some, there's some validity to some of the things that are being said. But here's what I want to make true to you today or or make known to you. My assumption is the vast majority of you prior to last year at the end of 2018 or maybe even this morning had no idea who even the Sentinese people even were. You had no clue where the North Sentinel Island is there off the coast of India. And this one man who goes and who doesn't even reach the shore before he is wounded with one of those arrows and killed. By his giving of his life, he has made known these people that you and I at least might start to pray for them. God, send a gospel witness to them. By the giving of his life, listen, this one... Following the giving of this servant, even though he didn't even reach the shore before he's killed. Listen. This morning, some of you might begin to think, I need to join that mission. Not because it maybe makes sense or because. But maybe the glory of God and the greatness of who He is and the sacrifice of Christ today might just start to overwhelm all the other reasons why you can or shouldn't be involved in missions or sharing the gospel. And so I asked this morning, maybe, will you join us in this mission? Paul writes in the New Testament and listen to what he says. He and Barnabas are there and they're speaking, sharing the gospel with Jews, but also some Gentiles are around and He says to the Jews in Acts 13 and 46, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you 
since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, they're rejecting the gospel. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Why, Paul, are you doing this? This is scandalous in the New Testament church, right? This gets Paul brought before the council in Acts 15. Four, here's, here's his reason why. He wants you to know why is he taking this gospel to them. Four, he says, and listen to this. So the Lord has commanded, look what he says here. This is very, very interesting. Us. God has commanded us. Saying, look what he cites. Isaiah 49, verse 6. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul says that the promise that was made about this servant to those who are the followers of this servant, this is also now to us. Did you see what he said? I mean, the Lord in Isaiah 49 and 6 is speaking to the, to the servant, I will make you as a light to the nations. You are going to reach the ends of the earth. And now Paul says, listen, he and Barnabas interpret this and say, listen, here's the truth for any who are believers. This is written to you. This is the Lord calling you to go. This is the Lord beckoning you to leave Greensburg, KY, to leave your family, leave your farm, leave your homes, and begin again to go. Maybe it's for a week to Oklahoma or a week to Changers. Maybe it's a week across the world. But this, Paul and Barnabas saying to us as they write here in the book of Acts, as Luke writes, this is the Lord commanding us Isaiah 49 and 6 is for the servant, but if we are followers of this servant, then this is written to us. Not that we are the light, as, as Jesus says, but let your light shine. Not make your light shine, but let it shine. Let the love of power of Christ. So I want to leave you this morning with the guaranteed success of missions. This was a passage that was in my reading yesterday morning early, and I shared it with the Oklahoma team before they left because our I've experienced it, whether it be in missions or other times, that you just experience discouragement sometimes. You wonder, why am I here? Am I making any difference, right? Like, I mean, sometimes you think about how maybe you should have had that conversation when you were there with that person in their house, or you were delivering those rice and beans. What if you just would have said this? Or when you were teaching in that class there at that church in Zimbabwe, maybe if I had just said this or I'd have been more intentional. Like, there's times when we wonder, right? Like, am I, am I, am I making a difference? I want you to hear the guaranteed success of missions. And I want to share with you two specific things as we close. One, it's humbling. And two, it's encouraging. I want to humble you first. Listen to what he says. I don't have time to cover the background of Revelation 5, just simply to say that there was no one else found to open this scroll and begin to bring all the things about in it. And ultimately, Christ is the one who comes and takes it from the right hand of the Father. And when He does, the church in heaven breaks forth in praise. Look what it says, verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll. This is the servant they're saying this about. The one we've been reading Isaiah 49. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people. You By your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Did you hear that this morning? This, is, this should humble us this morning. He's saying he is, he is slain and he's been, his, his own blood, his sacrifice has ransomed people from God, from every tribe, people, lung, language and tongue and nation. It humbles us. Why? Because God will accomplish this with or without you. I want to humble us this morning. 
Some of us think God has to have us. What would the church do without me preaching? What would the church do without me teaching? What would the church do without like... God's going to accomplish this with or without you, with or without Greensburg Baptist. It's humbling. It's, this, is, this, is a, this is a knee-bowing place. It's a knee-bower. But I don't really want to humble you. I want to encourage you. Because listen, listen to it again. And for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This is encouraging. Why? Because it's guaranteed it will happen. And we don't know who it's going to be. We don't know when it's going to be. We don't know where it will be. But we know that God will redeem and save people from every tribe, every language, every nation, every people group. And so it ought to encourage us to take this gospel to this community. It ought to encourage you today to take the gospel to your family. It ought to encourage you today to take the gospel to your work tomorrow. This ought to encourage you to take the gospel to Oklahoma and changers and across the world. It's humbling, but it's encouraging. and It's the hope of missions and it's all rooted in God's greatness and the sacrifice and glory of Christ. So I appeal to you with one last illustration. Yesterday I walked into my house with three boys fighting over this. I come in with one of them like this, ready to defend it any moment going to the crane, right? Some of you that are older, you know that. And it said, buddy, the accusations are being made that some of the money that was in here was in our community pot that was supposed to be for offering an Operation Christmas Child, the change that would go there. They would bring that to church or whatever. And so the accusations were being made by some of the other brothers that there's much money in that pot missing and this one has exponentially increased rapidly. And as he clutches this thing with maybe a few bucks in it, I just shared with him Jesus' words. That it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I said, brother, what you're clutching now, that seven bucks, is endangering your soul. What you're fighting over, seven dollars maybe in there of change, is endangering your soul. And the response comes back from my six-year-old at that point. Well, Dad, I'm just going to use it to buy Bibles. Just like C.W. would have wanted us to. That's what he said. Just like C.W. would have wanted us to, Dad. One of C and I's last conversations, he was burdened for the church. Burden for Gideons. Burden for the Word of God to go forth. And he and I just came to a place of saying, you know what, there's times when it's hard in the church when you look and you see so few that seem interested or even to care. or You wonder where are they or where's their interest or where's their loyalty or just being honest. There's, there's times when you wonder those things. And we came back to the hope and the promise that 
this is true and that God will reach the nations. He will reach the nations. And I guess my fear is that some of you are going to miss out on being a part of that because you're clutching whatever it is just like this. And you can't leave, you can't go, you can't share on that job, you can't... Because of this. I told my six-year-old, dude, when you're gone, that's still going to be here, brother. And it's going to be somebody else's. All of that, you're clutching that. Some of you are going to miss out on being a part of taking this gospel to the nations because you're clutching this and won't let it go. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know if it's the $7 in your money pot. I don't know if it's the farm. I don't know if it's your job. I don't know if it's just everything in the world that you love and you're after, but you're going to miss out on taking this gospel. And you may miss out on being there with that. It says there's from every nation. Not every nation will be there. Like everyone from every nation. Just people from those nations. So I'm terrified that you might miss out today because you're clutching the things of this world. And it may start as young as six or even younger. So today I invite you to come and lay down whatever you're clutching because of the greatness of God and the glory of Christ and surrender your life to missions. That God would use you. Some of you, maybe you don't even know the love of Christ yet personally. Would you come and experience this grace, this mercy to be forgiven of everything you've ever said or done? Today, would you come experiencing the hope and the grace of God? I invite you to come. Let's lay the things of the world down as we see the glory of Christ and the greatness of God. And let's join with Paul and Barnabas and say, this is to us too. Let's take the gospel of nations. Would you pray with me? Father, I know my own desire for the things of this world. And so I know that if it's if it's in me, it's in those in this room who are like me. So I pray now, God, that the power of Christ would transform our desires, that we would want the, we would want you, we would desire you more than the things of the world. As Jesus said, what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? Father, would you call us? Maybe we won't be like John Chow that go to the North Sentinel Islands and lose our life. Maybe it'll just be walking across the street today or maybe it'll be having a conversation with someone we know as dad or grandpa or maybe it'll be a grandfather today or a father having an honest conversation with a child. Or God, I don't know what it may look like today, but I just pray that we would be willing to put aside our fears, our worries, whatever we're clutching right now so strongly that we can't let go of, would you, by the power of Jesus Christ, would you just open our eyes to see who you are? Thank you for the hope of missions. Thank you for our team in Oklahoma today. Strengthen them now. Empower them to share this gospel. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.